Couchfish, how not to do Singapore. A quick word of introduction. My name is Stuart McDonald, and this is Couchfish, the perfect tub of ice cream for the traveller stranded on the couch. The newsletter has both a paid edition, which traces a fantasy itinerary through Southeast Asia, and a free one that covers, well, everything else. You're reading the latter here today, but if you'd like to, you can upgrade your subscription via the button below. Thank you. As I type this, I'm supposed to be somewhere in Laos, but I'm not. I did get a third of the way to Singapore, but due to some unplanned changes, aka poor planning on my behalf, Singapore was as far as I got. Laos trip delayed. For my sins, I scored four and a half days in Singapore. It's no secret that Singapore can be expensive. Going on the deluge of news stories lamenting skyrocketing rents, pricey scoffing, whining tourists like me, and that the mooncake prices are heading towards the, uh, the moon, it seems like never more so. Than today. The thing is, there are many steps you can take to ensure your stay in Singapore is even more expensive than it needs to be, and I'm here to tell you how. Why? Thanks to my lack of foresight, bad planning, and general incompetence, I lived it. What I got wrong. Buy your SIM card at the airport. As I said, I had not planned on lingering in Singapore, so I grabbed a SIM card upon arrival at Changi Airport for $30. The card worked fine and gave me all the data I needed, but had I purchased one online, I could have got something similar for around 10 bucks. Don't throw away your EasyLink card. I'm through Singapore quite a bit, and somewhere back home there's a pile of half-used EasyLink cards. If you're not familiar with these, they're stored value cards you can use for public transport in Singapore. When you buy a new card, it costs $10, but comes with only $5 worth of credit. So yes, I bought yet another card to add to my growing collection of cards still loaded with credit at home. You can, in theory, use your credit card in lieu of an EasyLink card, but I'm having too many credit card problems to even entertain that approach. Thank you, Westpac and Commonwealth Bank. Book nothing in advance. In my defense, my original plan have held for me spending one hour and 50 minutes in Singapore. My connection to Laos was so tight I'd splashed out on a front row AirAsia seat to aid my sprint between terminals. Laos trip binned a week before departure. I could have booked my beds, but, well, I never got around to it. When I did, the day before my departure, hostel rates were as high as my flight. Then I doubled down on my error and booked one night, figuring I'd find something cheaper as a walk-in once there. This, again, was a dreadful error. 
Not only have many of the backpackerish places I liked shut down thanks to the pandemic, my trip coincided with a public holiday weekend. Excellent. In summary, I ended up paying $70, $78 and $66 for pods and then $100 for a hotel. If you're a road warrior attuned to paying north of $200 a night, these rates might seem like rock bottom, but I'm no road warrior and I'm sure not attuned to paying $78 for a pod. Contact your accommodation direct to get a better rate. Ha 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 ha, yes, good luck with that. One of the places I stayed at only accepts bookings through Agoda and Booking. When I asked about Booking Direct, they gave me a telephone number and told me to WhatsApp them for their bank account details for me to make a transfer to. When I asked after rates, they told me to look at Agoda, who I know they were paying a commission of 25% to. This seemed dumb. Another hotel wouldn't match the Agoda rate, despite me standing in front of them with, a, with the money in my hand. The third one, a hotel, I paid in cash in person, but if I wanted to book for the future, they advised I needed to u either use Agoda or call them, as they don't check email every day, and then I had to promise to show up. Don't stay out of the centre of town. Again, this is hardly brain surgery. If you want to stay downtown, close to many of Singapore's sites, then you're going to pay a premium for the privilege. If you're willing to stay a little bit further out, prices drop, almost to the point where they could be described as good value. Yeah, there's a trade-off as you'll incur the time and cost of getting downtown. I opted out of this trade-off and I paid the premium. Don't bring your own plate and cutlery. This isn't so much a cost thing, but bear with me. It might sound bonkers given all Singapore's sustainability blah blah, but the hawker centres are awash in styrofoam. According to the government, this has been banned for new storeholders in all hawker centres since 2018 though in the past they've said alternatives are too pricey. Regardless of the blah blah, styrofoam features not only for takeaway but eat-in as well. Likewise, single-use plastic is prevalent for cups, forks and spoons. Single-use wooden chopsticks are far more common than they should be. Plastic straws are everywhere. You can bring your own plate. I saw quite a few Singaporeans doing just this. But my plate was at home, probably full of half-used EasyLink cards. Don't look at menu prices. Some deranged hostels turn the aircon off between 10am and 2pm, so when that happens, seek aircon in the closest aircon cafe you can find. Be sure to order as you walk in without looking at the menu. Don't hesitate to order a second one when the first one goes down a treat. This is the best way to seamlessly pay $16 for two flat whites. A bag coffee from a hawker station? Around $1.60. Where's the mug? Don't plan your sightseeing beforehand. 
The best way to maximize sticker shock is to not check admission prices beforehand. Gardens by the Bay for $53 or the Art Science Museum for $51, hell yeah! The National Museum of $40 was eye-watering, but with the excellent Experiencing Singapore Through Travel 1800s to 2000s exhibition costing a mere $18, I went with that instead. It was worth every penny. On the other hand, with the Monday Singapore Zoo at 48 bucks, I thanked the travel gods. I didn't pack my kids. Don't make use of Singapore's many free public spaces. Singapore has plenty of park space that won't cost you a dime, so be sure not to allow time to use any of it. The Botanical Gardens and Fort Canning Park are free, as is the Southern Ridges Wharf, Bukit Timah and Labrador Nature Reserve. Likewise, hitting Pulau Ubin won't cost you any more than the bumboat ride there and back. Things I got right. Those those feet were made for walking. I walked. I walked a lot. Around 89,000 steps, according to my phone. Singapore is a fantastic walking city. And as one of the things I decided to do while there was to rework our walking tours... I fitted in plenty of this. Chinatown, Little India, Kampong Glam, Boogies, Raffles and the Keys are all great destinations for wandering. There's plenty of pretty architecture, temples, pagodas, mosques and churches, all of which are free to explore. There's also terrific and more affordable museums such as the Paranakam Museum to get you off the street and out of the blistering heat. Combine wandering with an EasyLink card, and there's no need to go anywhere near anything that uses four wheels. Good for the wallet and the planet, even if only a small number of buses are electric for now. Hawker centres are your friend. All but two of my meals were in a hawker centre. This kept costs down as I love the food. There is the aforementioned styrofoam and single-use plastic issues, but you can work around those. There is some price variance. Chinatown Complex or Maxwell are a little pricier than, say, Albert Centre, but it isn't a deal-breaker. If you drink, Hawker stations have the cheapest beer in town. Think around 6 to $7 for a large tiger. More for fancier tipples. Sorry, but... I can't think of anything else that I did right. Closing bed tips. The hostel scene in Singapore has changed quite a bit post-pandemic. Many of the long-running backpacker-style places are gone, and most pub places lack that hostel vibe. That said, here's some spots I recommend, and for each I've listed the direct rate from the property listing the cheapest option for one night in mid-October. When they're listed on Agoda, or in one case Hostel World, I've added that as well. Just also to note, the Agoda links are affiliate links, which means a commission may be payable to Travelfish if you click through and book a room. If you don't mind staying a little out of town, Beetlebox, direct from 28 bucks 
on Juchiat in Geylang remains a solid old-school hostel. Geylang can get a little ropey at night as it's as close as Singapore gets to a red light zone, but I love the area and the Vietnamese food, in particular at Long Phuong, is great. In Chinatown, Wink Hostel from $50 direct on Mosque Street is still going strong and has a second property for overflow. On South Bridge Road, Adler has changed hands and is now Atelier. In theory, from 50 bucks, but in practice, 70 ish. They have no website, but you can find them on Agoda. Think of it as a slight step up from Wink, but it's a chaotic mess management wise. The Bohemian on Hostel World for around 50 bucks beats Art Hostel, previously I Stay In, also from around 50 bucks direct, and Rucksack Inn, uh, direct from around 30 bucks are decent Chinatown backups to Wink. In Kampong Glam, Cube Boutique, direct from around 55 the and the Pod Beach, Beach Road, direct from 50 are both solid pod-style places. The former has a more central location, but both are within easy walking distance of Sultan Mosque, Haji Lane, and so on. Forget the tourist tats in Chinatown. Do your souvenir shopping around here. For more spendy options, consider Kesa House in Chinatown, direct from 180, the Sultan in Kampong Glam, direct from 140-ish, and the Dalat in Little India, direct from 140, with a tiny lap pool. Over near Orchard Road, I'm a big fan of Lloyd's Inn, direct from $180 with a decent pool. Note these prices are all for their smallest rooms. And when I say small, I mean small. One more point for families. Um, in the past, one option for families on a budget was to grab a four-bed dorm and treat it as a family room. As hostels have moved towards pod-style setups, four-bed dorms are getting rarer. The Southeast Asia Hotel, see below, has family rooms from 160, but if you want more trimmings, particularly a swimming pool, look further out of town. As an example, the village hotel Changi has large double rooms for under $200 direct, a rooftop swimming pool, and it's close to the airport, so it's handy if you only have an overnight stay. There's also a hawker center, park, beach, and the bum boats to Pulau Ubin, are all within easy walking distance of the hotel. Last but not least, I spent my final night at the Southeast Asia Hotel, direct from 100 bucks in Bugis, and I thought it was great. It is a very old school hotel, in business since the 1950s, and their prices haven't changed since 2011, nor the carpet, I would guess. Nevertheless, the rooms are big, the aircon works, and I found the staff to be friendly and helpful. It will not be to everyone's taste, but after paying $70 for a pod, $100 here was great value. The location right beside a busy temple and pagoda and a 5-10 to 10 minute walk away from Bugis uh, MRT is excellent. In all of the above cases, do check rates through whichever OTA you use 
and compare them to what the property will offer you direct. There can be significant variances in both directions. Weekends cost more. Public holiday weekends more again, take my word for it. You can find a list of Singapore public holidays here. Book as far in advance as you can to hopefully pick up a better rate. Carbon. Well, I can't write about this without looking at carbon. I flew up on an AirAsia A320, which according to Atmosphere, using Jetstar for measurement, as they don't use, don't list AirAsia, but the aircraft type is the same, generated 637 kilos in climate impact, which they describe as including CO2 emissions, contrails, ozone formation, and other effects. My return flight was on a KLM 777, which scored another 701 kilos. These figures are significantly higher than what Google Flights spits out, 117 kilos and 136 kilos respectively, as atmosphere takes into account more than just CO2. And, well, doesn't make money by getting you to click through to buy a plane ticket. This Europe-focused study, which it should be noted was sponsored by Hostel World, compares the emissions of hostels to hotels. It found that a bed in a hostel equates to 0.30 tonnes of CO2 equivalent and a bed in a hotel to 1.18. However, it assumes only three people in a dorm. And I tell you what, There were a lot more than three people in each dorm I slept in. The first dorm had 20 beds in it, the other one 14, and they were both chockers. Regardless, compared to Fancy Pants Hotels in Singapore, which I've written about before here, I think it is fair to assume my accommodation emissions were about as low as possible, especially in the joint that turned off the aircon in the middle of the goddamn day. Anyway... Regarding all the, regardless of the fuzzy numbers, in my version of offsets, I plan to donate $75 to Sungai Watch, an organization doing great work here in Indonesia to clean up the rivers. That is, once they fix their donate screen, which won't accept my email address. If you've got some loose change, even if you haven't just got off a flight, spare them a thought. Couchfish is 100% independent and reader-supported. If you're not already a subscriber and you'd like to show your support, become a paying subscriber today for just $7 per month. You can find out more about Couchfish here or simply share this story with a friend. Don't forget, you can find the free podcasts on Apple Pocket Casts and Spotify, as well as right here on Couchfish.